Well, hello all and welcome back to the balcony. Quick update, I was away last week on holidays uh, to the west of Ireland, which I would recommend to everyone. I was intending to do all this yesterday, but the old COVID vaccine jab the day before kind of put me under the weather yesterday. But back to normal today, if what I actually am is normal. So to season one, episode two, still crazy after all these years. It's also the same name as a Paul Simon song. And also, just to let you know, the episode was originally released on the 10th of October 2004. Damn, that makes me feel old. Well, older anyway. 2004, not actually that long ago, but when we look at how crazy society is becoming lately, it seems like a different world away. And if we are to be honest, if they tried to make this show today, it would be totally different. And I don't think it would be anywhere as good. Probably not good at all. To be honest now, I'm not good enough to dissect everything which happens in, in, in an episode of Boston Legal or in this episode. Plus, it would take hours and hours. David E. Kelly, in my opinion, has produced a show that barely wastes a scene. There's always something happening and what, in, what is happening is always linked to something else, sometimes very subtly. Hence why this show is so rewatchable for me. So I'm going to just give you my honest feelings when I watched the episode this morning. Uh, which was for the first time in over a year. So, um, this episode touches on an aging man, obviously Denny Crane, fighting to keep the respect that he has worked his life for, fighting for re relevance, which I think we can all relate to. Uh, plus, we get to see Danny in court. But the main story, though, um, and this arc continues into episode three, is the case of Alan getting an ex-girlfriend, Christine, played by the great Elizabeth Mitchell, who I can never understand didn't have more work. It's brilliant, in my opinion, in these two episodes. Well, it's a pity. So Alan is successful in getting Christine out of the mental hospital. And we get to see how Christine deals with that. And questions are asked about how people with mental illnesses are dealt with regarding the cure, help, you know, whatever needs to be done. I think they did an amazing job here of showing how difficult something like this can be for, for all involved and how different people deal with the situation and how things are not always what they seem. So the episode begins with a, with a great scene where the camera pans across the waiting room in the mental hospital and where we see Alan doing a jigsaw. And I'll be honest, for a second, he doesn't look out of place. I love this scene. I think it also indicates to Alan having his own demons that he needs to work on. And again, don't we all? We also find out that Christine, who's the client, tried to kill Alan. Regarding the treatment later on, Alan calls it an overreaching asylum. Now, let's be honest, this is sometimes necessary, but when does it need to stop? Christine says this is a hospital and when a patient is healed, they are laid out. Sorry, they are let out. So how do we determine when one is, one is healed and is safe to be let out and, and continue to heal themselves out in the, let's say, the real world? got to remember, the truth is people lie and... Um, and the truth is people get stuff wrong a lot, especially when it comes to themselves. So it's hard to be honest with oneself, sometimes admit that you're at fault or that blaming someone else or the condition, etc. won't help. I can relate, as I'm sure most people can, if, if they were honest with themselves. Especially in today's world where I feel marketing and social media, media have perpetrated the lie. That is always someone else's fault. Or if you look at the pharmaceutical industry, not as a, 
only not your fault, but hey, we have a pill to help. You know, our, our politicians who are looking for your vote by always blaming everyone else. And the thing is, even if even if it is someone else's fault, genuinely, sometimes doesn't solve the problem or help you to heal. So in this case, Christine was diagnosed with intermittent explosive disorder. It seems people have been making up terms long before today's fanatical labeling. Now, this has been defined as, uh, as follows. I found this online that it involves repeated sudden episodes of impulsive, aggressive, violent behavior or angry verbal outbursts in which you react grossly out of proportion to the situation. Um, road rage, domestic abuse, breaking objects, objects, you know, other temper, you know, temper trans, sorry, temper tantrums. And to be honest, looking at that on the surface, it seems a lot of people should be in a mental hospital. But obviously this is well you would hope is only for extreme cases. And note, I am an idiot about these things, so take too much of what I say. But it doesn't seem that Christine should be in hospital for it. Or at least the Christine we see now. But she did need help. She got the help. And now the next stage is to, is to heal further. And what they're trying for is in the real world. So she, she will then need to figure out the rest herself. And obviously keeping her in an asylum... And drugging her up is no longer the correct procedure here. And I think this is the hard part, sometimes, for all concerned. Hospitals obviously have a duty. And let's be honest, you know, they'll be sued if, if they are wrong, even deemed wrong. Even if all the evidence says otherwise, you know, uh, that there's nothing to indicate, you know, that the decision they're making is wrong. So, and, and as I said before, you know, people lie. And they always look for someone else to blame. So... Actual mental illness is, is hard to diagnose, in my opinion. You know, exactly. And a proper healing solution is there even harder. You know, for example, there there is a reason so many uh, relapse after rehab. Now, whether it's rehab or, or a mental hospital, there is a point for many, hopefully nearly all people who were in there, where the next stage for them of getting better is outside these institutions. And surely that's the logical goal. But this is hard probably means changing your life sometimes even getting away from family and, and friends and so on again it's hard and it's time consuming and can be expensive so sometimes it can actually be cheaper and easier and I hate to say it more profitable for some industries to keep people in a hospital people are flawed doctors are flawed and doctors can also become institutionalized and their hands can be tied sometimes and in this, in, in, in this episode, we can see that with the doctors here. They're unable to see beyond their solution for Christine. They want to keep her on her drugs and in the hospital. They even fear that she is incapable to being able to take her medication without their supervision. Seriously? The film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest always comes to mind when I see stories like this. And you have to ask yourself, is the patient insane? Or are they made insane by the institutions? Now, in this episode, Alan easily sets them up with the hypothetical scenario, which the doctors are unable to even comprehend. You know, the idea that their process, their, their solution to, to, to helping her was, was wrong. So watching it, you knew what was coming. We had an idea. And again, brilliantly shot with Christine taking out all the tablets, tablets out of her pockets. Now, there's another line also, I think it's the, one of the scenes after that 
when the doctor says freedom is a privilege not a right that's some line but I think it again shows the attitude of the institution and therefore the doctors again myself and I will discuss this in, a, in the next episode and, and future episodes as it does come up again in the series see I, I did say there's a lot in this show and I'm only a few scenes in really so Christine gets out and stays with Alan who's living in a hotel room Christine comments on that but also that he always has a nice out he always seems to have an answer to everything so he says between him saying the only thing he requires from a relationship is to be alone and the whole living in a bathroom thing suggests again that Alan has his own demons to, to sort out so as we go through the episode we'll see Christine keeps turning up when she's supposed to have said goodbye first in the office then the bar when he's out with Sally then back in his office again then he gets a phone call and he's at the office party and then she turns up at the office party which is the, the final scene where we find out that she's going to be an outpatient here Boston she's not going to Chicago and she's getting her old job back but these scenes appear to show Christine becoming more crazyish, maybe every time that she sees him more unhinged maybe and, and in the middle of all this Alan discusses this with Tara over a coffee Tara says that she's stalking him and suggests having suggests having her recommitted or, or, or a restraining order. But Alan says there's nothing to warrant either. And here's the problem that we've yet to solve. Tara says, do you really want to wait till there is? Again, it comes back to how do we determine when someone is a danger compared to when they're just trying to work shit out? Where is the line in the sand? How do we make ourselves safe? How do we keep someone safe from themselves? As I said earlier, it's beyond hard working this out sometimes. When we look at extreme cases of stalking and the potential outcomes, example murder, you know, mental anguish and, and so on, and how it ruins lives, it's easy to jump to the conclusion that someone is in immediate danger. And the problem here is sometimes they are. John Lennon is the obvious one that jumps to mind. And then there's the guy who shot Ronald Reagan, who said he did it to impress Jodie Foster. And now we've got social media stalking and, and just normal media stalking, which transfers to normal life, sadly. Some people actually think they've a right to what is basically stalk. Now, I won't go into that because this is obviously looked at um, in future episodes. But these are definitely issues, I think, that need to be solved. And we don't seem to be doing so. It seems freedom is, is a right is winning in some cases. But personally, I think it's both a right and a privilege. Mainly because, well, no one should be able to just do whatever they want, as everything we do can affect others. Stalking is a perfect example. Now, you, you know, you have a right to go nearly anywhere. But when it is inducing fear in someone else, it needs to be questioned. I'm not saying banned, but it needs to be questioned at least. Because stalking isn't always stalking. Sometimes it's misread, misinterpreted coincidence do happen so again how do we figure this out so most people think things like this are easily and quickly figured out and they're not and I think this is the problem people want a quick solution so in Christine's case here they've shot it to make her look you know unhinged especially the last scene and Alan becomes worried too but should he be well based on the inform information to hand you can't hold it against them for feeling fear especially if she did try to kill him before but i think what we'll see is she's just trying to work shit out 
figuring out how to heal for herself to get better. And as the Joker said, can't make an omelette without breaking some eggs. Now that's probably not the best analogy, but hopefully you, you know what I mean. Also, if she's actually insane, which she isn't in this case, how can one tell oneself whether they are insane or not? You need someone else not just to tell you, but actually convince you. And that may have been the case, but she's better now or getting better. And again, we're back to trying to figure out what's really wrong and what needs work and, and, and what is just someone else's opinion. The doctors think she's insane. Sally and Tara think so. Alan starts to think it. And as we're watching, we, we probably do too. Or again, maybe not insane, but definitely unhinged. And Christine is struggling with it all as well. As she says herself, sometimes she still gets pangs. So maybe the question is here, how do we get better at seeing what is really going on? Well, not putting yourself in a dangerous position, obviously. These are skills we need to learn, maybe. I don't know the answers. But it is also about risk assessment, which seems to be something that doesn't get spoken about enough in the right way, especially for women. I have two daughters. I'm continuously telling them about risk and how there are things that they are doing which might put themselves at risk, more risk. Not their fault, but just because you're not at fault doesn't remove the risk that you're putting yourself in. Just because somebody shouldn't do something doesn't mean that won't happen. The fact is they're dangerous to stir people out there. And sometimes there's just horrible, nasty people. And sometimes normal people just do crazy shit. These things happen. It's not your fault, but there's still a risk. And until that risk is gone, we need to be speaking about these things. And as you know, we live in a world where everyone has an opinion as to what is wrong with you or how you should be living. And and they do this having barely any, if no information or, or data about you or the situation you're in. These are situations that we need to work out for ourselves. And sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it looks crazy. I suppose if you look at everyone at Crane Pool and Schmidt, it appears everyone is messed up in some way. Well, guess what? They are as we all are. Maybe life is just trying to figure stuff out. Or at least it should be. So at the end, Christine thinks she'll have a better chance at achieving normalcy in Boston. What do we expect her to do if this is actually the case? You know, even if it causes stress to others, and in this case, Alan. I don't know the answer. I think we should try and be compassionate and understanding and maybe a bit patient. When is enough enough? What do we do when someone else's healing causes your own mental stress or worse? We all have people in our lives. Sometimes family, sometimes work colleagues, neighbours, whatever, that cause this. And if we're really honest, we can admit our lives would be better without them in it. They bring chaos. So what do we do about it? I don't know. But each of us has to work it out ourselves before it's too late. And eggs may have to be broken, sadly. Well, within this arc, we also have stuff going on with Alan and Sally and Laurie. Like I said, a lot goes on in these shows. What I will say is that Sally doesn't belong here, or at least not long term. And I refer to both the company and Alan in this. She sticks out. But she will learn from both these experiences again with the company and with Alan. We will see this later, later on in the show. And she is better for it. No pain, no gain, I suppose. As for Laurie, she 
obviously despises Alan, but is obviously attracted to him. Whether she should tell Sally or not, she's right in telling Sally to beware. Laurie sees him as, a, I suppose, a dangerous bad boy who is also very good at his job. And whether women want to admit it, they're attracted to dangerous men who are also very good at their job. It's exciting, but also maybe there's some sort of protection in that too. Sometimes we need to be dangerous, if you know what I mean. Like I said, a lot going on here. And don't get me started on the foot massage scene. Scene. My uncle was a butcher is probably my favourite line of the episode. I also think this is the episode when I might have fallen in love with Monica Potter. Don't tell my wife. And so we come to the balcony scene. Well, let's talk about what leads up to that scene with Denny and Paul. So in the initial staff meeting, Denny is late. And later when he's questioned about chairing the deposition, he says, move along, Paul, in that dismissive way. And Paul does. Then he's still the boss. But as we know, following on from the last episode, Denny is fighting for relevance here. As he still wants to be the great Denny Crane. He says later, in, in what's a great emotional scene, prior to the balcony scene, that he feels the wagons are circling. In this scene, he tells Brad that he wants his respect. In an earlier scene, he says he doesn't want to be controlled. And when he gets attacked, he stands up for himself. And this is after Brad comes to him and, and, and tells him he's a complete joke, something to parody. Now he says or indicates that this comes from a place of love. And you can see that, that he thinks he's helping him. He thinks this is what is best for him. Or maybe best for the company and the client and all. Because Brad is the straight-laced, black or white, ex-marine who sometimes doesn't get the darker side of life, I think. So I actually think he was coming from a good place. But sometimes, like, the doctors who wanted to keep Christine in hospital, they're still wrong. In fact, it took Laurie to explain to him why the board were happy with Denny to take the chair on this case. We, we, we see that Paul decides to let Denny defend the case in court. Why? Hoping he makes a show of himself and gives him enough evidence to have him removed from the board. Again, I think Paul is also coming from a place of love. And also what he genuinely thinks is good for, for the company and the people who work there. Paul takes his role very seriously and I think he tries to do the right thing when he can. Same with Brad. And I guess based on his point of view I, I would probably do the same thing. Now as, as part of my job I've been in court a good few times as a so-called expert witness. It's in relation to motor accidents and claims and I can tell you in my opinion the most important thing is to be prepared and to try and foresee I suppose any rabbits being pulled from the hat. You could say that Danny Crane is the king of pulling rabbits from the hat. But I think Paul has a right to be worried. When he questioned him earlier, in a very funny scene I thought, Danny paused long enough to make you question his ability. Then answered brilliantly, a man died during angioplasty, leaving him dead. Tragic. Brilliant. But left me also wondering if he meant it or not. That that pause... In deposition then, it appears like Danny has no plan. Asking the, the plaintiff about her sex life. And to be honest, I laugh every time during it when Shatner puts his hand together and just looks at her and, and asks her more or less sex this past year. And the way it's played out, you're not sure. 
I think Shatner's a great actor and I think he's underrated. And I do think he's perfect for this role as, as a waning star fighting, fighting for respect. Now, later on, we see Denny in court and, he's base, and he basically kicks ass. Now, it appears that he may have had a plan all along. He made the case, or at least made their case, become about, them, about himself. And the actual case was, was forgotten about. Rabbit from the hat kind of thing. He made them make it personal. And then he crushes them brilliantly. He showed them that he can still be Danny Crane. But he was also not just speaking about the opposition council when he attacked when he attacked them. Attacked him, I should say. But the board members that were present. And, and obviously to Paul as well. And especially the idea that both tried to do it all in public compared to doing it in private. As you know, as it does appear both have done for for bonus points maybe, or what happens when they did this, they lost. Shatner was brilliant. Now, even though Brad, I suppose, tried to help before the case and then congratulated him after it, it was too late. The lack of respect was already shown by him and Paul. But this is an issue we all have to deal with if we are successful or, or have any length of, of, of time of being important or in anything. And it's that, that time of importance comes to an end, whether it's as a parent or, you know, technology at the moment has taken a lot of importance from some people's jobs, for example. Taking their jobs away nearly sometimes. And we can see companies and politicians too fighting for relevance. And with social media, this is happening to people even younger after they get their five minutes. Most don't deal with it well. The private fans thing and, you know, and reality TV and a lot of it anyway. Sometimes it isn't desperation though. Sometimes it's actually just evolution. Sometimes that to, to hold on to that, that once we had. Now, I myself am at that point in my life. A job I've been doing for over 20 years is now, as it was, not available to me. And I have to admit, I had my head in the sandpit of the Nile for years, but, but no more. So I need to evolve or, or I need to change. I'm kind of lucky in that my life was not all wrapped up in it. But for someone whose success is his or her identity... That must be tough. I think that's why, you know, I've known a lot of people over the years that retirement has been a poor a poor option for them. Because they've spent their whole lives being important, having this structure and stuff. But now that's gone. So their identity is gone because it's wrapped up in that. So it's tough. It's tough for someone, anyone, whose success is his identity. And Shatner plays this role brilliantly. And it's written brilliantly. So finally to the balcony scene where we see Paul speak to Denny. You'll notice that Paul stands. Denny stays seated. Doesn't look at Paul. Again, too much water has gone under the bridge here. Not just in this episode, but obviously we've been leading up to this. Denny even makes a slightly degraded comment to Paul's possible sexuality, which I feel was made out of anger and pain and nothing else. I also think that Paul realises he may have made a mistake. The, The writing here is great. The acting here is great. So we have Paul referring to to Muhammad Ali losing when he was over the hill. And the worst being that Ali still thought that he was the greatest. That he was still Ali. The difference here, I think, is that then he knows he's not who he was. But he still wants to believe it, as we all do. Also, though, he, he says, you know, or indicates that Paul isn't his friend. I still think we see here that he is. And this hurts Denny. Probably more. 
because he knows it's coming from someone who is a friend. I think the reality is that though Denny thinks he earned the res- that he's earned the respect that he wants, and he did, the world only really cares what you can do for it now. That's sad but true when we're talking about the world. Not, you know, not your friends or your close family. But the world as a whole only really cares what you can do for it now. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It's sad but true. So, on that note, that's a that's just a few of my rambling thoughts on the, on the second episode of Boston Legal. Um, I was planning to do two and three together, but as you can see, I ended up rambling on way too much. So I will be back next week with Al this time um, as we discuss the final part of Christine's story arc. And we get to see Donnie Crane appear, who I wish had had many, many more appearances on the show. So thank you for your time and, and listening to me, Harry, here on Scotch in the Balcony. Much appreciated. So if you enjoyed, please subscribe, like, share, tell your friends. You can also get in contact via email, Facebook, Twitter. Details are below. You'll find all our um, previous episodes on Podbean and hopefully iTunes. So I'm Harry saying thank you and stay safe. Uh, see you next week. Bye. You know, I really need to get some music for this part.